you're listening to Get Real KC with Jen and Eric. Kansas City's consumer-facing real estate podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Get Real KC, where we are overflowing with a passion for all things real estate. I'm Eric Jurgensen. And I'm Jen Justice. And today we are presenting to you our second episode of From Start to Keys, The Home Buyer's Journey. This is episode number two. But before we get into the nuts and bolts of the episode, it, we, we've kind of, we haven't been around for a little while, Jen. Yeah, we're really sorry to our listeners, but there's been some Real life poopy situations happening, haven't there, Eric? <laughs> uh, poopy for sure. So um, we've had all kinds of really strange problems. We've had some technical studio difficulties. We had a computer crash on us. We had construction out with some banging and some hammers, and it didn't make for a pleasant background noise to the podcast. Right, we're uh, we're we're in a basement here where the studio is, and they were jackhammering, and it was vibrating through the studio, so we couldn't record one day. We've, uh, I personally have been dealing with some family medical issues uh, that have uh, really messed up our schedule a lot. Uh, and then most recently, uh, we've, we've, had, uh, we've had some veterinary issues. Yeah, Jen got to drive down to uh, Columbia to Mizzou with her horse who had some type of huge interlitis, I believe it's called, which is a... A piece of something that's gotten stuck in that horse for years is what I hear. And it's calcified and just stuck and my horse had to have surgery. So, yeah, just let's dig into finding your dream home, Eric. That's where we're at. We're finding your dream home. And the first step of finding your dream home, of course, is to go out and get pre-qualified. Now, Jen's going to share with you some things that you should be prepared for and things you could be thinking about in terms of qualifying for that home. But first, I want to tell you that you probably should have the expectation that an agent is not going to show you homes without you getting pre-qualified. And there's a couple of really good reasons for this. Um, The two that come to mind to me the most that I talk with my clients about are, the first is you don't want to go out and start looking at homes that you later on find out you can't afford. Yeah, that just sets you up for a bad situation. And we want this to be an amazing experience. We want this journey to home to be the best that it absolutely can be. And the second reason that I talk to my clients about is is that we're going into other people's homes, particularly when they are uh, still living there. They're having to get it cleaned up and spotless. They're having to take, you know, the kids and the dogs and the iguanas and whatever and get them in the car and get them out of there and all of those things. And so we don't ask people to do that unless we have a ready and qualified buyer. So we just out of respect. So a lot of agents and and brokerages, including ourselves, both of us, we don't show homes without understanding the financial picture of our clients that they can be successfully purchased the home if they fall in love with it. And the same can be said on like an investment property too. Right now I've got one and this would be something I'd share on today's dream where the seller has requested that until they provided us with that proof of funds, we're not releasing all of the sensitive financial information. So it goes in a lot of different realms and it's just respectful and it's the way to conduct business. All right. So I know we talked about this in the last episode about lenders and some of the things that they'll be asking for. But when we talk about getting pre-qualified, there's some things you probably should be prepared for and a couple of things you ought to be thinking about that maybe you wouldn't naturally. Yes. And one of those things is if you have a pension, a 401k or something like that, 
that can actually be used oftentimes for the reserves that the lender is going to require. They often require six months of reserves, meaning that you have enough in savings to pay for six months. And they'll look at that and they want you to have that much in savings. That way, if you fell upon hard times, they would know that they're still going to get their payment. And what I've learned is over time, people you know, assume I don't have the cash, I can't do this, this is impossible for me. But in reality, a lot of people have a 401k, um, government has a different one, I can't remember. Teachers the, uh, have a 403b, I think. Something like that. Yeah. So some type of pension or retirement, and you look at the terms and conditions or call your financial advisor or your rep, whoever that is, and check with them on your hardship withdrawal status, because really that's all it has to show is some type of status that you could use this if an emergency arose. And there's also situations, by the way, where you can tap into a loan against your retirement accounts for down payments on homes as well. Absolutely. That's a great point. So definitely. Definitely some things to look at, be aware of, be cognizant of, talk to your lender, talk to your financial advisor or whoever's managing your your retirement funds if you have them. Uh, and, and hey, they might even be helping you with these additional documents that you're going to get together. So your retirement, your W-2s, your paycheck stubs, your 1099s, several months of bank statements, all that good stuff needs to be either in a in a nice Google Drive that you want to share with your lender or some type of, uh, Eric's probably got the most protected, best, latest financial <laughs> Wizzo well, to help you get that over securely. They probably got some kind of secure portal. A lot of that lenders have secure portals that where you can into. upload that. Absolutely. So, um, sometimes it's available on the app. I've I know some lenders that you can directly put those into yeah. a portal. I think is on the app. So we there's even lots take of different pictures ways. of some of them in some yeah, cases. So absolutely. yeah, your lender will have options, but you should be prepared to not only bring all that financial information to the table, but also be aware that these other things can play into the whole process. All right. But now, if we've gotten pre-qualified and I can afford a home for X number of dollars, what are some of the considerations that we should be looking at when we find that dream home? I, there's all, there's always the big joke about what's important when you uh, when you start a business, right? And I, I think there's three factors. What are they? They are location. And what location are the what's the third and one? And location. There you go. Right. So location, of course. Uh, we believe it is extremely important when finding a home. And there's some factors that might affect location that you may not have considered or may not be considering because, you know, the big ones are what is my relationship ge geographically to where I work and also what is my relationship geographically to uh, my friends and family that I spend time with. But what about my dog? Right. Absolutely. Did you know that, like, I think it's something like two-thirds of all families have pets and NAR did a study. It was fascinating. And so the essentially the outcome was 43% of the respondents of this study said they would consider moving to somewhere specifically that's better for their pet. I actually have clients right now that definitely are looking at homes, yard sizes, access to walking trails and fences all specifically for their dog, their beloved dog. So and I'm my client is looking for a garden spot. And so when we talk about location, sunlight becomes very important. And the direction that that backyard is facing to where they can put a garden back there can't be too shaded, needs to get just enough sun, has to drain properly. So those big slopes either towards the house or away from the house, neat. Oh, and when we drove up to a house just this weekend, there were some apartments like right on the right hand side that would have drained right down into his yard so more right. on and that maybe location even block the sun in certain areas so 
uh, location is a big deal. And, and uh, when just to circle back to pets. Um, Check the rules and regs. Yeah, HOA rules and regs. Um, City rules and regs sometimes, sometimes they're becoming less. They're less and less about breeds, but about fences in particular too. Yes, Wrist have- Lake is actually up here in the Northland, and they do not allow any, any, can't talk today, any above ground fencing. Well, they do allow the in-ground fence, and I think you've got some examples of places that don't well, even allow the that. A- my OHOA doesn't allow in uh, invisible fences either, which I find strange and don't know why, but I have cats, and so we don't let them out, so it doesn't matter f- to me, but it would definitely matter to some people. You know, we also mentioned earlier uh, commutes, and we talked about that in location, but there's commutes or access to driving at times and access to things other than your job that uh, you should take into consideration. Like, how hard is it to run down to the grocery store for a cup of sugar or a pint of, of milk? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, that dog park might be just down the street. Dog parks, absolutely. Maybe you don't want to drive. There's actually, we've had a, a number of people moving here um, from other states that do not have driver's licenses, don't have any desire to have that. And so they need to be either close to a bus line or possibly downtown with the rail system or something like that and just a little more convenient. Right. Streetcar, so. which I think mm-hmm. is moving up to the plaza. I said next. rail system, streetcar. Yeah, I, I think told it's, you. Yeah, coming across the river. But, uh, you should definitely think about your location. You should be looking and paying attention to uh, location. And um, also, we think it's a really good idea if you have time to, particularly if you're looking in certain neighborhoods, is to scope out neighborhoods at different times of the day and different times of the week whenever you can so you can understand what's going on in terms of, of parking, of traffic patterns, and, and those kinds of things, right? If you have the time and ability to do that, that just gets you more comfortable that you're making a good decision. Yes, that parking can become a real issue because, for example, if you look at the house at noon on Tuesday or maybe one or two on Tuesday, that's going to be a whole different scenario than probably if you come back at five, six or seven on Tuesday. Absolutely. So it's just a good idea to look at that, especially if that's a priority to you, especially if you have a boat or an RV and it is allowed to park in that area. Um, Those are some things that you want to consider when you're looking at this large financial asset that you're going to be purchasing. All right, so we've got our location narrowed down. Of course, we'll be qualified. Now it's time to get in and look at some homes, to tour some homes. And there's a lot of things we can talk about in touring homes. Um, I, I know that, uh, I don't know that we'll spend a ton of time on it, but but virtual touring really became a thing during the lockdowns and the pandemic. And it stuck with us because I'm just going to guess, and there's lots of studies out there, that most buyers have been looking online for at least six months before they step into the first home that they physically tour. And that's even if they physically tour it, because we've got a previous podcast with some clients, and they actually completely were virtual when we helped right. them They buy were their from home. out of town. Kylie mm-hmm. and Daniel, go check out that podcast. They talk about their experience of buying virtually and not having stepped in the home until after they owned it. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, but obviously, if you're local, most people, when they have the opportunity, want to go and tour homes now. And the market's actually slow enough where you uh, don't have the blazing fire trail. I, slow enough's not even the right word for that. It has cooled a smidge to where you probably have a day or two. Right. Um, some of the homes are staying on the market a little longer than that. But it's not like, oh, Eric. I just, one minute ago, this house is at the market. We got to go right now. Like, right. oh my gosh, my client's yeah. going to miss it if we don't get there. What are you doing in the next 10 minutes? Yes. Yeah. So yeah, we, we, we'll talk about that, yeah, I think, here in a minute. But let's just talk about touring homes in general. So uh, 
there are still some people um, that determined that some of the stuff we did during lockdown was just was just good habit. Uh, so there are I see plenty of homes now that still have hand sanitizer out and say, hey, why don't you just use this? And whether it be for COVID or for the flu or for whatever it is, you know, cat scratch fever, I don't know. But but uh, so some of those have been around. But some things you need to think about for appointments. Um, you know, you, you need to be very courteous when you're in somebody else's home, uh, even uh, even if it's empty. But you, you just kind of need to be courteous. You tend to need to be relatively quick. You and of course, if you're touring more than one home with your agent, your agent will have a, a schedule put together that you'll try your best to stick to. And I was sitting on a committee with uh, my good friend up in Smithville for the Legacy Fund, and there's another agent in our group, and we were literally talking about um, realtor time because if your first appointment gets off and it's late, your whole rest of your – it's a whole domino effect because one goes into two, goes into three, goes into four. And we can, you know, try and juggle and reschedule, but we are typically dependent on somebody else because we're going in their home. And so if they've taken their dogs, their kids, their iguana, I think you said earlier – Walking their cat on a leash, whatever they're doing. I saw that this weekend, too. Absolutely. Um, They have removed themselves so that you could be in there. So if you can be on time, we understand that extenuating circumstances happen sometimes. But it is ideal for everybody if you can kind of stick to that time frame. Yeah. There's a a whole art. Hopefully your great agent knows it. But there's a whole art to setting up multiple appointments, understanding the gaps in between the drives, the patterns of your client's. Uh, making sure that the ones that are more likely to get off schedule, uh, if at all possible, are the ones that are vacant where you're not uh, affecting people as much. So there's a whole art to that, and hopefully your agent is uh, doing it really well. And I just talked to another agent recently, and we were discussing this, and they weren't aware that showing time had a feature that you could toggle those around, and it would help you with those times. So there is an actual feature, and a lot of agents don't know about it, but there's a toggle in our showing time, which we use as realtors. It's one of our subscriptions um, as realtors, but you can toggle that in, and a lot of people just don't know about that great feature. Showing time is the name of the application. Or, or software uh, that we use to, to schedule showing. So, um, Fun facts. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a couple of other things about um, going into somebody else's home. Uh, you know, um, I always get this question, what can we open and what can't we open? So um, you can open cabinets, right, because you want to look and see how the shelving is done. You want to see how operable the doors are, although that will be caught in inspection. You can open closet doors. Um, you can open all the doors. What, what you don't open uh, is you don't open a refrigerator unless the refrigerator is staying and you want to see the And you don't grab a beer inside. out of it and start drinking oh, it my or goodness. a that, water. I haven't had that happen, but I've heard the horror stories. So. I have actually had uh, that happen, but it was on my listing and my seller contacted me and said, Jen, they just got a water out of the refrigerator and they're standing in my kitchen drinking the water out of my refrigerator and the refrigerator is not staying with the house. Yeah. That's- and I understand that, but that's a point to our listeners that in this day and age, you need to be aware that there are ring doorbell cameras. So going into the home um, and then there could be surveillance throughout the home that could not only see you, but it can potentially hear you and record you. You need to understand that when you are touring a home, you are just go on the assumption that you are being recorded both with video and audio. Just make that expectation. You need to be respectful, particularly when you're discussing decor or anything like that that isn't, you know, necessarily your taste. 
you know, I have this discussion with my uh, my nieces about how do I respectfully suggest that I don't like a particular food, right? And I hate it, and that's gross, are not the phrases you need to be using. Unless you're 10, that's my 10-year-old. Right, and so... Still you, try and ward her away from you it. You need but. to be able to... Ass- you, you need to assume that you're being recorded at some level um, and act appropriately. Hopefully, your appropriate acting is that way all the time, whether or not you're being recorded. So uh, these are just some things to understand when you um, are touring a home, be respectful, be timely, uh, be cognizant potentially of other people in the home. Don't have financial discussions in the home uh, because assume that you're being recorded. Um, And then if you really do hate the decor or the artwork or something. Save it for your dinner conversation, not in the house. Yeah, so... Uh, those are just some tips for touring a home. You uh, one a couple of other things, or one other thing that could come in two forms is, could there still be somebody in the home while you tour it? And and the answer is yes. Uh, it can happen one of two ways. First of all, the sellers themselves might still be there. They may choose to stay in the home. That is their prerogative. They own it. It is unusual in our market, but it does happen. Now it happens sometimes because. Maybe there's a mobility issue or something along those lines. Could be uh, livestock on the property. I just sold a uh, property mm-hmm. that had horses on it. And due to the nature of horses, that's I know a little bit about that now. <laughs> um, you know, you just want to make sure that everybody's safe and that gates aren't left open and that sort of thing. So I would usually try and be there or prep the listing agent extremely, extremely well not to go in the pasture unless I was there or the seller was there. So that could be another case. There's a reason that things may be happening. And hopefully the agent that's listed the property does a great job conveying that information. Sometimes you come up to a house and the sell- the owner just forgot that there was a show. Yep. And when that happens, you know, depending, and I have these discussions with my clients. I'm like, if that happens, we're not going to kick them out of their home. We're going to say, hey, what can we do? Can we, uh, would you mind if we tour it anyway? And then, uh, and, uh, well, I just had one. Uh, actually, it was like last week. And there was a gentleman and he was working from home. And he, he just couldn't leave. Yeah, that was pretty common. I actually yeah. had a listing, I think it was last year, where the seller literally had to be logged in the entire time. They tracked her mouse movement, so she had to yeah. be every, I think it was every two minutes, she told me or something, so that if she wasn't on a break, she had to be there basically totally attentive, and she could not leave this room with this computer because it was all attached to this workspace. Well, don't get me started on trust levels from employers. But, but in this case, all we did is we said, hey, when, we'll just peek our head in the room you're in, and then we will be quiet and respectful while we're nearby that room. And so it was pretty easy to deal with. And in the case of my seller, we just put that very um, front and center of the listing and then in the showing instructions so that people knew they weren't supposed to bother. It still happened, unfortunately. So we ended up putting up a little post-it note on the front door that said, hey, someone working in the back bedroom cannot answer questions right now. <laughs> right. The other person that might be there, might be present, is the listing agent themselves. Now, this can happen uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, we certainly see it in higher-end listings. Yes. Uh, or with, homes with a lot of features or a lot of square footage or a lot exactly. of land so that somebody is there to kind of help you because there's too much there to unfold if nobody's there to help you. 
Right. And so, yeah, they can show you the features, et cetera, et cetera. They tend to allow you space to have discussions because they know that's part of the drill. Uh, and then as a, as a person who's listing home at any economic level, if you have um, uh, certain sets of valuables or whatever that you're concerned about that you can't get out of the house, for, for list, then you can ask your agent to be present. Now, um, depending on the value of the home, the number of prospective buyers, whatever, that might be somewhat challenging for that agent because it could take a lot of time. But it's something that you and your agent can discuss as a possibility. Absolutely. So we've gotten pre-qualified. We drove to these homes. We've, we've, we've been by the homes. Uh, we know the neighborhoods. We found a home. We toured it. We like it. Now what we want to do is we want to buy it. Now, I hate to tell our listeners this, but this is not HGTV. Oh. This is not going to get done in 30 minutes. What about the American Dream? That's a new one that keeps coming out. Is it? Uh -huh. I haven't seen it yet. So, uh, yeah, Showcasing you, these big fancy homes typically and... And somebody buys it. A little it. unrealistic, yeah. Somebody buys it in a 30-minute episode. Yeah. yeah. Not, not the way it happens. Not the way it happens. So, this is not Property Brothers Friends. <laughs> when you make an offer on a home, there are legal contracts involved that your uh, real estate agent, your realtor, is going to help you with. Hopefully, they've already shown them to you and you've gotten familiar with them. You've had chances to ask questions about them. That's what a good realtor would do. But um, when you sign some sort of documentation with a listing agreement or not a listing agreement, a, apologize, my a, buyer's agency agreement right. with so you. So you've already seen I'm some of this representing kind you, of paperwork. Yada, yada, yeah. yada. Mm -hmm. And then we have the 16 page residential real estate contract. And, and what we want to walk you through is we want to walk you through some of the decisions or probably most of the basic decisions that you're going to be making when you make an offer because those that those conditions or those decisions are made at the time that the contract is written absolutely and you know speaking of contracts i actually had an interesting one come across um this weekend that somebody asked me to take a look at it's an investment company that has made this particular seller who's a friend of mine an offer on their home and this contract comes with the buyer um taking advantage of financing from the seller. And it is a whole new type of contract that I have honestly never seen before. Um, and it's very interesting. So there are lots of different types of contracts out there. Eric and I usually stick with um, the residential forms contract from our local association, Kansas City Regional Association of Realtors. Those have been vetted by attorneys. Great. That's the one I was just talking about. That's 16 pages. Um, I do have the occasional seller finance contract um, mm -hmm. that I yeah. utilize personally as an investor. And then there's some attorneys that could draft contracts. Um, we've got a commercial contract, yada, yada, yada. But as you, builders frequently have their builders own builders have their own yeah. too and that's a great one and they are usually really really long right um for a long time uh buyers didn't have the option to say i want anything different however the market's starting to shift a bit um kcrr also has a new homes contract but most of the time um builders will put amendments on that if they don't have their own contract to go with it Correct. so yeah Lots of things out there. You just got to do some due diligence to see what's up. But as a rule, we use the 16-page residential KCRR contract with in, some addendums, amendments, and all of those lovely things. And, and in it, there are typically some things that you're going to have to make some choices on. But just as we mentioned, just to kind of uh, um, make a little clear, you're going to want to have been prepared. So hopefully you're going to have looked at uh, the blank contract that you're going to be making your offer from so that you're very prepared with understanding what it looks like, the choices in it, the language around it, 
Uh, obviously, if you have questions, you can ask your real estate agent. They are not lawyers. So if you really, really want to dig into it, you should get some legal advice. It does say that, actually. If you do not understand anything in this contract, you should consult your attorney for legal advice. That is exactly what it says. You also will be, prior to making that offer, there's a good chance that there's something called a seller's disclosure that came with the property. You will have to sign as part of your offer, so you'll want to And you want to review this in detail, friends. You want to look at this document and make sure that you're okay with what the seller is telling you. And they may be a really knowledgeable seller, or they may be a seller that leaves blanks in HVAC and roof and whatever else. And then, you know, you're just going to have to do your own due diligence. Maybe they legitimately don't know. Who knows what the situation is there, but it's usually a great document to tell you what this person has experienced while they have been living in the home and then what they're going to potentially leave you, what is operating, what is staying, what is not staying, or what is not applicable. Um, and so that, like, for example, does that refrigerator that fits perfectly in the kitchen, is that staying or not staying? The one I'm drinking the water out of? Right. <laughs> As I roll my eyes. The other thing that happens on those is things get excluded. And what an exclusion means, it means that it is staying with the home, but they're not guaranteeing any um, anything about the condition or operability of that particular item. That means that during an inspection, if you find out there's a significant problem with it, that's not a reason why you can leave the contract. And I believe the number one thing that I see that on, fireplaces. Fireplaces, absolutely. Mm-hmm. People move pool into houses. sometimes is probably a second if it has a pool. But I see that a lot of times on fireplaces. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's just simply because sellers haven't used, used it. the fireplace. Yes, and they just don't know anything about it. So yeah. they literally just don't. You know, it's one of those things people are like, it's not that. The other things I see it a lot on are if people are leaving washers or dryers or refrigerators, which aren't, uh, I want to say that. Yeah, they're appliances and not necessarily a quote unquote fixture of the home that um, the mortgage company doesn't love to finance appliances anyway. Right. So they'll say, hey, we're leaving the fridge, but we're excluding. For your convenience and it's excluded. Right. Absolutely. Uh, you'll want to review, and, and if you're in an HOA, you'll want to review the HOA because that's something that can come around and bite you later on after you purchase the house. So It's be- something that can keep your neighborhood looking amazing and great. There are some really good purposes for HOAs. However, they can be an aggravation. Um, I always just say the golden rule. I have some debacles with some HOAs. I just got a notice about some clippings in, outside of the uh area of the home and they're a little bit in the street and the HOA has sent me a nasty gram email. So that is actually a covenant that the clippings cannot be blown in the street. There cannot be any clippings in. That's fair. Again, I said in the beginning that these are put in place to try and keep the homes looking nice, the neighborhood looking nice, but they can be a little particular. So you just want to make sure and review those documents. I always try and tell my clients when I know particular ones that shall remain nameless that are really, really meticulous with really, really active homeowners or homeowners presidents. I try and be very upfront with them about it. But they can see when they go in the neighborhood, it's gorgeous. Here's why. Right. It's because we make sure that you don't blow your grass clippings out on the street. So, uh-huh. among Even other things. If you things. were going to do them later, it doesn't matter. You don't have time. Right. Get some to of, it right now. Some <laughs> of those things are great and so, some aren't. I've been in a lot of um, places that have really stringent HOAs, but they don't tend to bother me because I don't tend to 
you know, um, want to change the things that they want to control. When but, I was talking about those RVs or those boats, that's oh, yeah. one where if you have any of those things, um, a lot of times, like, for example, up in Smithville, which is just up north of us, and there's a lake up there, they have covenants and restrictions that will allow you to have the boat out at certain times of the year. But after, I think it's like this first day of fall, maybe it actually, they must be put away. See, so they and, can't and, be out anymore. And it's also pretty common with RVs that you can have the RV uh, at your home for a few days. Yes. So it's like the prep time to get it ready to go on a trip and then the time to get it ready to go back into wherever you're storing it. But it can only be there for three days at a time. That, those kinds of things are rules that you need to be paying attention to if you have that kind of stuff. Yep. Sheds, landscaping, all kinds of things. Check it out and make sure you inform yourself. Absolutely. Be aware. Um there's, there's a couple of things around, right? The big ticket item, right? Around money. Um, yeah. You, you have to decide when you make an offer. I know this is going to be shocking to all of you. You have to decide how much you want that offer to be for. I know. Crazy. Um, and this actually is on page four of our contract, which I had another agent from another association get one of our contracts and called me and said, Jen, why is your purchase price on, on page, page four, four of the yeah. contract? I have no idea. Yeah. You would I think mean, it would be like the first it. thing, right? It, it feels like it would be on the first page. Maybe they'll review that next time. But it's on page four um, along with the next important item, which is? Well, are you talking about earnest money? Yeah, Absolutely. We're talking about earnest money, which is technically... No, right it's not. After it's that. right after purchase price. Yep. Now I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Just a it's paragraph on the same page. down yeah. on uh, page four. So you're making a lot of uh, money decisions. So you're making decisions. And we're not going to like go into depth of what all of these mean. Because hopefully you'll you know be doing that with your agent. Uh, but you're going to make some decisions about whether or not you want some seller paid closing costs. You're going to make decisions. Uh, you're going to have to reveal information about uh, what your loan is, what your loan uh, loan ratio is. We're going to see a lot more different types of loans now in the shifting market that we're in versus mm -hmm. um, I think probably uh, this is our redo of this version. We were advising a lot that we weren't able to uh, have even refundable earnest money. We were talking about option money. We were talking uh, less about ha being able to have an FHA or a VA loan. I know we went over those in an earlier episode, but just something that we're starting to see more of and all things that go into this contract. So so there's, there's the financial piece. And so purchase price, earnest money, earnest money. Now that is money that you are putting down essentially saying i am making this offer in earnest i really I mean promise it. to purchase this home except for if you have a couple those of clauses clauses which we're going to probably get to on our next episode because we're running out of time but one of the things i want to talk i want to finish off with the money today and so you're going to put down earnest money and people ask what's the an appropriate amount um, theoretically, the larger the amount that money is, is the, the stronger it makes the contract. It shows people that you're in a good cash position, which they are concerned about. Um, so the more, the better. I don't see a whole lot that are more than 1%. Sometimes they're mandated 10% and then builders will even go higher than that sometimes. And while we're talking about earnest money, we should point out that a lot of builders have them make you pay them directly to the builder and that once you decide to build a home, especially if you're customizing it, your earnest money becomes non-refundable. Non Absolutely. So, and that's usually a large chunk of change mm -hmm. when you're building a home. So 
really important on that one. Um, I'm seeing a lot of thousand dollar earnest monies again on contracts on just your standard homes. If they're million dollar homes, I probably see a $10,000 earnest money right. on those. Um, and then, you know, some of the other ones in between, but I have actually had sellers that just feel better when it's larger, even if they still have all of their clauses in there. Sure. It just makes some people feel better. Some people understand that it may be meaningless essentially if it's larger with their clauses, but at some point some people just like to see a bigger number there right absolutely well it just means that you know if if, if i'm putting a thousand down or i'm putting 2500 down it, it might tell a seller yeah i i am responsible financially i have 2500 dollars in the bank here right. here let me show it to you all right let me have somebody else hold it for a while so um, we'll talk about the scenarios, the typical scenarios where that earnest money might be refundable if you need to leave a deal. But we'll be doing that in the third series, uh, the third installment of the series, the third and final installment uh, of the series in our next podcast. Uh, the last thing about money we want to talk about, and this was a huge deal over the last 18 months, two years. Maybe not so much now, uh, but we still want you to be aware of what it is and sort of how it works, and it's called an escalation clause. So I can give them m more money? You can, as it turns out, sellers typically will take more money. Yes, that's a thing. Absolutely. So escalation clauses were widely used when we had this fire blazing market. They are uh, shifting away, I think. But what it essentially says is that I'm going to escalate this contract up to X amount and beat the next highest offer by X amount. So let's just say it was a $250,000 house, but I'm willing to pay you $300,000, Eric. But I don't want to pay you $300,000 unless you get an offer that says you're going to have more than that. And I'm going to beat that offer by $1,000 up to $300,000. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, an outbid situation. A little bit. Yeah, here's my offer. Let's say it's 200 and uh, I'm going to use fake numbers here, right? So let's say it's $250,000. I'm willing to pay you 275, but only if I have to. So if somebody else offers you 260, in the contract I'll say I'll beat any offer you have by X number of dollars, so let's say by $2,000, and I'll do that all the way up to 275000 And if your agent is right, uh, smart and writing a contract like that, they will also require that the proof of the original offer is available. So then your agents start talking that through, and the seller says, hey, Eric, I've got an offer at two fifty eight. Here's the evidence of that offer. We're going to take your offer because your escalation clause says that you'll pay 260, although your original offer was only 250. Woohoo! Yeah. So it's kind of that sort of almost like an eBay, right? Uh, I'll I'll outbid. Yeah. Yeah. Better, 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 better. A little bit like that. So escalation clauses, uh, we we seldom talked about them prior to the pandemic. Um, they were very they were very rare, I think, in in your standard home contracts. Yeah, I don't know that I ever dealt with them in the previous two decades. Yeah, and then <laughs> they were uh, we, I can't tell you how many times I wrote. I bet you I wrote twelve or fifteen offers. I I couldn't with them even in. Yeah. guess how many I wrote. Yeah, so. So that's it. That's a little bit about money. So we've definitely talked about, you know, we're, when you make an offer, you're going to need to understand the contract. You're going to need to be able to have reviewed that seller's disclosure, understand the HOA. And then we got into money, right? We talked about earnest money. We talked about the purchase price in general and then escalation clauses. And that's where we're going to wrap it up today. When we come back in our third installment of the home buyer's journey from start to keys, we're going to finish out making an offer and we're going to talk about 
closing costs, inspections, other items, appraisals. Appraisals. Appraisal uh, waivers. Oh, yeah. That's another thing. And then we'll talk about inspections and appraisals in general because they happen before you get the keys. And then we'll wrap up with closing and getting the keys to that house. So that'll be our third episode coming up. Uh, But hopefully this has been an informative episode for you. If you're trying to understand what a typical home buying process is, it's been a joy to bring it to you. Thanks for hanging in there with us, guys. We are uh, getting back to the regular cadence and appreciate you sticking with us. So thanks so much. All right. That's it for another great episode of Get Real KC. Until next time. You have been listening to Get Real KC with Eric Jurgensen and Jen Justice. For more information or to contact our hosts, visit us at dreamhomesbygen.com where you can find more episodes exploring real estate as it matters to you.